0: Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk about purpose with inspiring people making a positive impact with their lives. We're particularly interested in social enterprises and entrepreneurs. We will listen to them reflect on their journeys and take time to dig deeper in order to better understand what really motivates their choices. Hi everyone, welcome to the show. Today we're gonna be speaking with Michelle Sharp. Now she was the first person I interviewed for this podcast And she called me up a few weeks ago and said that she would love to tell a bit more of the story of Kilmarnock, because our first interview, we had focused more on her journey. So what we're going to do is a little bit different in this episode, because we're going to be looking at the issues that an organization faces as it grows. And also, how do you access capital when you're not really a traditional business all about profit, but you're also not really a charity because you're actually making money from the businesses that you operate? So in this conversation, we talk with Michelle about some of those issues. As a leading example of a social enterprise in New Zealand, this is a fascinating conversation. Here's an excerpt of the
1: interview with Michelle. But it was a question of speaking to each person and understanding what does good look like for you? What can we do to support that? And we can't do everything overnight, but we can slowly start making a change. And even by showing the intent, that goes a long way towards um, people's views.
0: Now one of the things that we tried to be a bit different was to take a video of the interview, and that's now posted on the Facebook page for Seeds Talking Purpose. So if you look that up, you'll be able to watch the video of us having the interview as well. And I'm trying to post more content there, including photos and behind the scenes glimpses into the people that I'm interviewing, as well as some poems that are being written for the people who are on the show. Now, just before we dive into the interview with Michelle, don't forget that this is the 31st interview, and there's lots more in the back catalog, so why not check some of those out? And if you enjoy the content here, then consider sharing it with a friend. Now, here's the conversation with Michelle. All right, so it's a pleasure to welcome back Michelle Sharp from Kilmarnock Enterprises. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Stephen um it's really wonderful to be here because you were the very first person that i talked to on the podcast
1: yeah that's right yeah
0: and um since then that episode has been listened to um literally hundreds and hundreds of times so Mm. it's great and some of the feedback i had was about people appreciating your honesty okay because i think you talked about being vulnerable Mm. and and that was really important for people to hear so it was really good
1: it's been remarkable i've had quite a few people contact me from around the world who've heard it and it's inspired them in some way or another so Yeah, and well done to you because the questioning was amazing.
0: Oh, no, that's fine. Yeah, it was was easy Mm -hmm. because there were some such good answers. (laughs) The reason that we're having a follow-up is that we realized that we talked about your life quite a lot. Mm -hmm. And then we talked a little bit about what Kilmarnock is doing today. Mm -hmm. But that it would be good to go a bit deeper and particularly understand the story of Kilmarnock Enterprises. Mm -hmm. So this is not so much about your personal story today. It's more about Kilmarnock. So, I'm wondering if we could just set the scene for people, because some people listening or watching may never have heard um, of or or not know the history. So, if we could go right back to the beginning, like, and then what we'll do is talk about some of the recent challenges and the way that you've adapted in the light of those challenges.
1: Great. Now that's easy. And actually quite poignant to be doing this interview now because you may not realize that Kamarnak is actually 60 years old. And in fact, this year we'll be celebrating our 60th anniversary, which is um, quite a milestone. Yeah. So clearly in 60 years, um, the organization has had many, many faces, many changes. It's been a real evolution We um, are the birth child of this um, phenomenal woman called Miss Christabel Robinson. She was an academic here at the University of Canterbury in Christchurch. And I don't know quite how, but somehow she had some exposure to people with disabilities um, who in those days were very much institutionalized. And as a pioneering lady um, with some very strong ideas um, and quite a force to be reckoned with, I I, I understand, she made a decision that she did not want to walk past this problem. She felt it was so wrong that people, just because of um, having learning difficulties, somehow were not to be seen or heard. So... um, She went about gaining some support from government and gaining some support from some strong um, philanthropic backers here locally. And um, basically that created what was then called the Canterbury Sheltered Workshop. Uh, That was a place where individuals could come and could um, learn some new skills, create some new meaningful relationships, and really have um, an ability to participate a bit more in the community um, than they they had been previously. So that was really how Kilmarnock started. Um, and I- in many ways, the, the values that we hold uh, today are, are still the same. You know, we believe in a world that values diversity. Therefore, everybody should have the ability to participate um, in their communities in whatever way they want to. Um, clearly, the Kilmarnock of today, though, is significantly different. And um, through the history and through the decades, we have had some significant changes in wha- how we operate and, and what we do.
0: Mm-hmm. So that that's really a really long history, like, nineteen, uh, you know, 60 years ago. Yes. That's sort of post-World War II era, right? That's that's, that's right. The, the context, I guess, of mm-hmm. what we're talking mm-hmm. about. Um, I'm just going to move the microphone a little bit, um, just yeah. because that way I think our little camera may pick your face up more. Okay. And I, I want it to switch between the two of us.
1: Great, <laughs> with this wonderful technology. Yeah, we'll
0: see <laughs> what happens. Yeah, that, that era, I guess the, the time that it was born Mm. it was a very different world then as well wasn't it?
1: Oh absolutely the whole world was different and I think um, you know you think about today and um, the access that we have to each other through technology even that wasn't there Mm. so in many ways I think people were far more accepting of some things that went on because there wasn't the communication around uh, what it was so really Miss Christabel Robinson is an incredible was an incredibly pioneering woman if you think about it because um, she saw the world then through different lens to mm. than others, which is, you know, quite remarkable. And we feel very strongly that we've kept the essence of, of why she created Kilmarnock. We just do it now in a very different way. You know, the Kilmarnock of today is an employer. We're a workplace, no different to any other workplace. Um, we also have our uh, recently launched training academy. And, um, and all of that has been possible through some significant change, particularly um, in the last uh, seven or so years.
0: Mm. And just to remind people again, when did you join it? Was it about seven... Years ago, is that?
1: Yes. Or? So I joined Command seven years ago. Um, the change was, was actually triggered not by my joining necessarily, but um, by the fact that we lost our biggest contract, our biggest financial income um, at the time. Soon after I joined, and that was um, the ANZAC poppy contract. A lot of people know about it, and New Zealand was up in arms. Um, but it's amazing how out of adversity comes opportunity. It was genuinely the best thing that ever happened to us. It made us have, to, uh, it forced us to rethink everything that we do, how we do it, who we are what our values are why we're here Um, it made us really engage with the community so much more than we ever had done before and that has been um, a lot of the success we've had recently has been because of the community we have um, we have really um, listened to the community and understood what what part we should be playing in Mm -hmm. the community Um, we also at that time were as a result of um, a need to survive (laughs) When a third of your income walks out of the door, whoever you are, especially if you're a not-for-profit, that is quite tough. And we genuinely stood on the precipice of financial collapse at the time. So that forced us into a position of having to really, really build on our uh, commercial acumen, um, something that probably historically hadn't really been done because there's a belief, or there had been a belief, that if you're commercial, you can't be social. Mm. Actually, I believe that we have proved the exact opposite, that actually through having a strong commercial footing that we really, really can um, leverage the social side of things. Mm.
0: So. So just talk us through when you first started then, what I'm really interested in understanding is some of the challenges that you were facing mm. and then I want to understand how you've dealt with those challenges and and what's been the way through, I guess. So if you could list them or think through what were some of the key challenges that you were facing as an organization when, you know, at that yeah. time, seven years ago?
1: Yeah, so um, our challenges were significant. Everything that you can imagine, if you imagine a good business and you have all the pillars that make up a really good, solid business, mm just about every one of them was a little bit broken. Right. <laughs> in some cases, very broken. Um, for example, we had no IT infrastructure. We had no strong processes or systems. Um, we were really good at some things like health and safety, but our environment made it very, very hard for us to actually excel in those things. We were in a building that we had um, inhabited for um, 50 years or so. And you can imagine in 50 years, um, especially when you look at the type of work that we engage in today, it's significantly different and very, very, very hard to operate um, as an organization in terms of health and safety and efficiencies um, and processes in an environment which has not kept up with your growth and change. Mm. Um, So about five years ago, which is when I became CEO, we went around about doing an entire business audit to understand what needed to change in order for us to be able to A, survive, B, grow, and C, deliver significantly more social impact. Mm. And I created this spreadsheet, which was probably a bad idea at the time because it looked like an impossible mission and scored us against every aspect that, that we could in terms of our operation, and it was a sea of red everything just about needed changing so it is so thrilling five years on it's been an exhausting time but f- so thrilling to see that 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 same spreadsheet is full of a sea of green <laughs> and that we now have these really solid foundations in place which means that we are ready to absolutely springboard into action mm. um, so exciting times uh, we've had some very challenging times in the last five years but very exciting times going forward
0: mm. so the so one of the key challenges was your location Correct. In terms of your building and and what would you say was the second if we i just want to list them out and then i want to return to each of them mm. and and work out how you how you went about what you did yeah. so, <laughs> so the first the, 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 the biggest one was
1: location and that yeah. comes down to two factors the buildings themselves which mm-hmm. were no longer fit for purpose um, our operation had gone from you know assembling a poppy which you can do quite if you and I were making them here we could mm-hmm. sit here and make poppies if you're dismantling electronic waste um, or you're doing something that's significantly more industrial that environment does not lend itself for that right furthermore we were sitting on a piece of residential land with some increasingly grumpy residential neighbors as containers were flying past their bedroom windows (laughs) at 6 o'clock in the morning. That wasn't ideal in any regard. So Mm. um, both the buildings and the environment were no Mm. longer fit for purpose. It was an accident waiting to happen, really. Um, We had... Trucks having to um, come into the site. There was no way out of the site other than reversing back out again. So from a health and safety perspective, in no way ideal. And, Mm. you know, clearly we did everything we could at the time to ensure we had best practice. But, um, Mm. yeah, not ideal. So the building would have been um, the biggest restriction for us to have growth and change. And it was causing us significant problems. Further to that, um, they, the building had not had any financial investment into it for a long time, so it was tired and worn. And you know, just because it was people with disabilities working in that environment, they they don't they deserve a quality environment. So that always felt wrong as mm. well. Sure. Um, then we look at, um, I guess, probably secondly, was our IT trying to operate in this modern day and age um, where everything that you're doing is paper-based and double handling because your buildings don't allow you the IT infrastructure that you require was just an impossibility. Mm -hmm. Um, And with the mindset that we'd had previously um, where we couldn't afford IT, that became, you know, something that we just accepted. So that was something that we looked at changing, Mm upskilling and... um, goodness me, the efficiency gains immediately and the communication channels that opened up were, mm-hmm. were huge. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, probably above that, um, which I think something that I'm personally very passionate about, as mm-hmm. you probably know, is um, is culture. Mm-hmm. So w- one of the first things that I did when I became CEO is make it very clear to everybody that we are a team of people. We all come to Kilmarnock every day with unique skills. We're all different and actually that's okay mm-hmm. because a diverse workforce is in fact probably the best workforce you could have. You, you know, I'm sure you've been in organisations where you're a group of people who are so similar that actually you can't go beyond your certain type of thinking. Sure. You have a diverse workforce where we all come at things from a different direction, with different experiences, with a different view on things. Mm. You can achieve so much more. Mm. Um, so changing our culture was um, a significant thing. That I, I'm often asked how long did it take to change it, and um, the story I give is, um, the, well, the reality of it is. Probably 80% of it got changed just about immediately within a week, mm. and the rest of the 20% we continually work on. You know, mm. you, we always want to strive for better. Um, but the key being not differentiating between a them and us type of culture. We're mm. all a team, we mm. all have our roles. Actually, we all need each one of us at the table to mm. make it all happen. Mm.
0: And I think one of the distinctives was that. You've said that you know everybody's name, right? And that's Absolutely. kind of part of that, isn't it? It's embracing everyone. We're all together. That's right. Um, some of us have different roles and in leadership yeah. positions, but at the end of the day, I know your name.
1: <laughs> and it's not just knowing the name. I, you know, I pride myself for not just knowing that your name's Stephen, yeah. but knowing something important about your life that's important to you. It could be, you yeah. know, your cat that, or whatever it is. Yeah. And then something current, something that is happening in your life today, to make sure that you're constantly rechecking in. With that person, and yeah. whenever we have um, newcomers to Kilmarnock, whether they're casual labour or whether they're permanent staff, or whoever it is, and wherever they work, whether it's in the office or the factory, mm. um, I will do an induction where I talk about how the importance is that you've come into something very special. Mm. You now have a duty to help us maintain this culture by understanding that we're all people that are interacting with each other, yeah. um, and to you know, and to allow ourselves to bring our whole selves to work. I think that's such an important factor that many organizations miss, that it, you know, we all have private lives outside of work that influence us at times positively and at times negatively. Mm. If we can't bring our whole selves to work, we can't get the best out of ourselves. Mm. So that's a really another important part is to understand that if you're looking a bit sad today or grumpy, let's just stop and understand what's going on in your life, because actually right. that's really important that you're able to be open. Um, mm
0: it's more more than being an asset or a you know a unit it's uh actually caring about the people isn't
1: it absolutely yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, for, so what i'm picking up from you and we're going to come back to the culture point because i think that's so important but the first thing that you've said was the building was inadequate mm-hmm. the second was it wasn't good and the culture needed to change mm-hmm. and then i think probably the fourth one just picking up or reading between the lines would be access to capital and the ability to um go to a new building and and you know, get new IT and things. Is that is that right? Or?
1: Absolutely. The access to capital actually um, sits across all areas if right. you think about it. So for um, the first year of me taking over, the, the, it was a cultural shift and mm-hmm. it was a heads down, let's try and stop the burn rate in terms of money. Mm-hmm. Let's work out what we are, our, um, our offering to both the community in terms of the social and our offering to the business world in terms of the commercial. Mm-hmm. Let's try and increase our revenue. Let's contain our costs and stretch our margins just so we've got a bit of a buffer to go and do something and invest it back mm. so that very much became I think the capital side of things has been an issue throughout any of the things that we're trying yeah. to achieve yeah. yeah no
0: that's great that's a great summary so there's basically four things that we're talking about mm-hmm. building IT culture access to capital yeah. I think we'll come back to access to capital and the building and IT maybe we'll just take care of themselves we'll see how it goes yes. but the culture one I really want to focus on that just a little bit more you mentioned that the 80% change happened within a week. Unpack that for us. What do you mean by that?
1: Um, well, culture is something that's owned by everybody, but there's definitely a sense that the leadership has to come from the top. And that was a question for me, really important. This is something that's very important to me in life, that I behave in the way that I expect others to behave. Mm-hmm. So. It was about bringing the team together and talking about the fact that there is no longer a them and us we are a team we are one and therefore you can speak to me in exactly the same way as you feel i should speak to you and vice versa um and we we did get some um some people that left we had some um, of our supervisor levels in particular who had been at Kamanak for so many years that they could not get past that change so we did lose some people mm. um but that's not a bad thing. that's not a terrible thing. um They did great in their time, but yep. it was a new era, sure so uh, yeah, little things taking the bars off the windows. there were some real practical things that we did right let's take the bars off the windows so it doesn't feel like a prison <laughs> cell, you know, and then there were lots of other softer things that was about yeah. um uh, yeah, leading the way in, a, in mm. the way that I knew was a far uh, better um, and uh, more inclusive culture mm. that would achieve in the end so much more in terms of outcomes socially and commercially. Yeah.
0: So that first week um, when you go in with this new way of doing things, mm. how do you communicate that to people?
1: I actually went about and sat with. I mean, I, I came from a position a bit different to a new CEO coming in because I had worked in the organisation for a year and a half. So, right. in all honesty, um, Stephen, I'd probably done a lot of the work in the You'd background. Sown some seeds, definitely. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, sown <laughs> yep. some seeds, definitely, um, and really talking to people about what does a good work environment for you feel like? What is that? And we had some people that ended up working four days a week instead of five because they really wanted to have a better work-life balance. So we made some practical things like that happen. Mm. But it was a question of speaking to each person and understanding what does good look like for you? What can we do to support that? And we can't do everything overnight, but we can slowly start making a change. Mm. And even by showing the intent, that goes a long way towards um, people's views Mm, mm. so
0: yeah that makes sense and then so so let's go with the idea that you've got 80% done in that first week you know it's a real fundamental shift and then the 20%, do you want to talk us through that? What what did that involve?
1: Well, I think that's just a constant evolution. And, and some of that could only really come until we've moved into our new site mm. because there was a, a separation by um, you had kind of an administrative block and then um, a restaurant in between and then the factory behind. So there right. always seemed to be very hard to have that know them and us when there's that physical divide. And even mm. though I would go to the factory every single day um, and encourage everyone from the admin building to go to the factory so we mm. could really integrate that, that, that becomes harder. So some of it was physical Mm. environment. That's
0: actually an interesting point, isn't it? Because when I worked in London at a firm, um, half of the team was on one side of the street. And then the other was in a different building on the other side of the street. And you wouldn't think it would make a difference. Like it was literally 30 seconds. But it definitely created different cultures within even within the same firm, 30 seconds away. But there was definitely a we're in this side and you're in that side that's right i just think for organizations or people listening to think through their own workspaces how have they laid things out and Mm -hmm. is there any potential separation because
1: yeah uh, and it, for us starting with a blank piece of paper we haven't even got to the fact that um of the move but to start with a blank piece of paper where you can design something we were very deliberate about having common meeting points so that the people in the factory who are coming in at break times have a point that is common to those who are in the office to meet yeah. very deliberate about that yeah and that you can imagine has changed so much because relationships build and And then there are lots of little other things. Um, I went about um, creating, making sure, culture is as much about communication and strong, deliberate communication lines, some formal, some informal, Mm -hmm. um, in terms of building that culture. So we really looked at, and I certainly am not somebody who wants to have um, communication by 100 meetings. That's not what I'm suggesting by Mm -hmm. any stretch. But we did something really simple. Like every Monday morning, um, we created a meeting. We still have it now called The Voice. That was an opportunity for everybody to bring to the table a stand-up meeting, short, sharp, quick. The voice, and that's what are, what's going on in my work life at the moment, or personal even, that is going to either be good, bad, or ugly this week. You know, or, or something that happened last week that really everyone needs to share. And suddenly, you've got a group of people who are. Um, starting to have a better understanding for some of the challenges and and issues that others are having or opportunities that might be in the business as well. So Mm. little things like that, Um, having quarterly meetings, which would never happen with all of us together in a more social environment where I could do a sort of lay of the land, this is how things are going, Um, and an opportunity to get to know each other better, bring a photo from your last holiday, talk us through it, what's important Mm. to you, Mm. remembering we're all people as well, Um, but an opportunity for really honest questioning as well. So... Mm.
0: So it's the the keyword I'm picking up on is communication, right? Absolutely. Like you, you're allowing different uh, platforms for people to communicate and share their perspectives. And yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And it doesn't have to mean 100 meetings, very formal meetings. It can mm. be short, sharp things, some more formal, some informal. So, yeah. yeah.
0: Is there anything else on culture that you wanted to share? Because I think we'll move on to the next topic.
1: Uh, All I would finish on saying is that you never get there, you know. I think it's something you have to constantly, constantly work at because the second you have one new individual into the team, the dynamics change. So it's something to always have at the forefront of your mind in terms Mm. of constant improvement.
0: Mm. Do you think, um, based on your experience, is is culture something that can be taught or is it something that people, that you hire for because you know that they'll fit in with the culture? In other words, yeah... is it teachable or is it I thi- inherent? <laughs> I think
1: it's um, predominantly inherent. I think culture comes down to attitude. Mm-hmm. And I would hire every time on attitude. But I think there is a process of osmosis as well. That if yeah. you're surrounded by a bunch of 10 people who are so positive in attitude and therefore driving a good culture, mm-hmm. you'd have to be a pretty unique person not to get caught up in that. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, the attitude that you're hiring for, I think I know what you're meaning, but do you want to just explain?
1: Just positive, open, um, curious, you know, people who are who are go-getters, who want to make a difference, mm-hmm. people who are, who have high energy, who you don't have to have the same skill set, but actually it's that attitude to go and do something either with yourself or with the company, mm-hmm. to get out of bed and to go and make it happen. It's mm-hmm. it's that attitude I always look for. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. I love the word that you use there, curious, because that's a, a word that I'm deliberately trying to use when I'm interviewing people these okay. days. I'll start things by saying like, I'm curious and then ask them the question because mm. I'm hoping people listening will go, oh, I can be curious. You know, like this is, it's its the door that opens so into much. new understanding mm-hmm. if you can remain yeah. curious, which ultimately are children, you know, why is the sky blue? You know, like all these, these yeah. are curious questions. And so I love that, you'd, you know, that's a great word. I yeah. agree. Great. It's perfect. <laughs> um, so can we just go back then? Um, I think, the building and the IT, I feel like that's going to flow out of the next question. We okay. talked about culture, just about the access to capital. Talk us through that. What are some of the barriers that exist for you as an organization? And and how do you deal with that?
1: Yeah, so some of the barriers are probably um, ones that we impose on ourselves. So because Kilmarnock has tried so hard to commercialize what we're doing in order to have a higher social impact, we find it really easy to sit in front of a large corporate, a large organization, and to tell them why they should be selling their services, uh, um, outsourcing their services to us. We right. find that conversation really easy. That's why we have organizations like Fonterra, Air New Zealand, the Goffs Group, um, Foodstuffs, you name them, mm-hmm. because we're good at that, because there's, there's, it's a mutual relationship in return. We find it a lot harder to leverage our charitable status and to go and almost what seems to us like asking for help. I see. If that makes sense. So mm-hmm. I find it very, very hard to turn up to the local large philanthropic organization or grant giver and say, please, could I have $100,000 to do something? Yeah. <laughs> Just holding out your cap. <laughs> and, <a> cap <laughs> yeah. and, and part of that is because as part of our culture, we've worked really, really hard to make sure that any relationship that we have is on an equal basis. Mm-hmm. Because by doing that, you're forming something that's a long-term relationship rather mm-hmm. than some kind of handout. Mm-hmm. So that's the mental barrier for us. Yeah. Um, Then there's the genuine, realistic barrier that exists for... We sit in a unique spot in the sense that, you know, you talk about the um, business or social enterprise continuum where you have... On the right-hand side of the diagram, uh, your, your typical very, very, very for-profit organisation that all they're trying to do, their whole so- sole purpose, is to maximise shareholder return. Mm-hmm. And then at the other extreme, you have your charity who operates entirely through a revenue stream that is through grants, donations, philanthropic goodwill and all that. Mm-hmm. We then sit slap bang in the middle. Um, we, um, we trade for our income. So um, all of, just about all our income comes from trading from delivering a service of some kind. But everything that we do, we do for a higher purpose. Therefore, it makes sense that even though we're limited liability, we also have charitable status. Mm-hmm. The second you have that set up, you confuse people because it's a new emerging um, sector, I guess, in New Zealand, or uh, well, even globally. The principle isn't, but the terminology mm-hmm. is. So we roll up at banks and we say we would like some capital to go and build a 11 million dollar new base camp for ourselves and they look at us and within 20 minutes they assess that we don't meet their criteria Mm. and that's literally what happened Mm. (laughs) um we then go thinking okay can we
0: and what's the explanation that's given they just say it doesn't
1: we just don't make enough surplus for them to be satisfied from a credit risk perspective Mm. typically Mm. it will be the issue um But that's because they don't understand the model where we are choosing to reinvest X amount of that surplus into the social mission. Mm. That is why. So that's a challenge. Then we go to um, on the other side to see whether we can leverage our um, our, uh, not-for-profit status. Mm. And we're seen as being too commercial. So why do you need our help? You've got your own revenue stream. You've got self-sustainability. I see. So we kind of sit in this void. You're a business. Go talk to the bank. That's right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the challenges.
0: Yeah. So you're kind of caught between two extremes Mm -hmm. and um, neither one in a way you don't fit either because you're not a pure charity and you're not pure business. You're kind of this one of this combining both. That's right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so that's challenging. Um, And, you know, in relation to whether it's funding our IT infrastructure or funding a new building, Mm. those were the challenges that we've come up Mm. against. And I'm pleased to say that um, that whole space is definitely gaining momentum in New Zealand now. But you have to remember, we were having these conversations four years ago. And a lot has changed even in the, la- the last year since the Social Enterprise World Forum came mm. to Christchurch. So. Yeah.
0: Well, people are even using the word impact investing now, That's right? right? So, you know, there's an impact investing network here in New Zealand now, yeah. and people are sharing information. And, you know, the fund just closed recently as we're yeah. recording this, like last month, I think. That's right, yes. They raised $8 million Yeah. for impact investing, yeah. which is, yeah, it's wonderful. So um, so p- perhaps the future will will be different, but let's uh, let's stay in the past for a minute. Yeah. Um, so you've been to the bank and they've said it doesn't really fit our criteria, and then you've gone to maybe traditional funders for yeah. charity- charitable type organizations. And they've said, but aren't you a business? And also the
1: the, the the dollar value was probably too high for them. You know, we right. were asking too much, really. Yeah. So we're sense.
0: talking about this building that we're recording in, right? Yes, yeah. correct. Yeah. yeah. Mm.
1: Um, the funds to build Basecamp. So we had to, we had signaled very early, a long time ago, that we had to exit the existing site, mm. the previous site, I should say. Mm. Um, and that well I say exit, we actually looked at whether we rebuilt on the site or whether and we looked at various sites and we had some five top level criteria that we assessed each site that we looked at against and right. this one came out by miles as the, the preferable one. Right. Looking at infrastructure and you know um, transport, public transport, all those things. The sure. environment, yeah. 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 So. No,
0: that makes sense. So you're having these conversations, you've gone here, you've gone there. Where does that leave you? What do you do next? (laughs) So
1: we made a decision that it wasn't going to stop us going ahead. Mm -hmm. Um, So we managed to convince the developer, and that took some convincing because you've been into our factory, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of specialization in it, and a lot of developers get nervous about that in the sense that for them it's easier to shift a sort of, yes, an office on the front and a warehouse on the back, not the specialization that we have. Mm -hmm. But through um, a relationship... just to
0: break down that, because you're involved in so many different Industries, because like you've you've got the the sort of the food side of things. So there's yep. certain health standards you're meeting there, and then you've got the woodworking, making yep. toys and other things, and then you've got the earphones for you know yeah global like industries. So there's packing, yep. my point is that there's wide variety within mm-hmm. the things that you're doing. So it's not just a case of saying well we just need one bespoke factory. It's actually. There's multiple different Yeah, things.
1: we're operating six businesses in one. Yeah, right. Each of which requires a whole different environment. Yeah. Either f- as a result of regulation or process and procedure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that's
0: cool. Yeah. I just wanted to dive a little bit deeper because some people may not know. Not that, understand that, that, yeah. You know, they just think, oh, well, a factory is a factory. So, yeah. Yes. So, anyway, you but you found a property developer who yeah, could Yeah,
1: so who we, could help. who could help. And he was prepared through some really strong relationships that um, we had built up with um, Glass Miles, who are, um, uh, um, Uh, real estate property developer uh, real estate agent sorry I should say here in Christchurch we Mm. built up strong relationships with glass miles they in turn had really strong relationships with the property developer and we convinced them to allow us to enter into a lease agreement Mm. he was never going to remain landlord so for him it he was taking a gamble in many ways Um, and we negotiated a 47 year lease with um, six years worth of rental inducements to help us build up to that commercial rent that would be expected And in some ways, yeah, it meant that we could move, but it just kind of felt slightly wrong. It meant that um, a lot of our money was going to be going into making somebody else rich, Mm. (laughs) paying rent at that level. Um, And that in itself went against what we, you know, if that money could be diverted into that social impact, Mm. how frustrating. Mm. So I was invited to go to Hong Kong as part of the Social Enterprise World Forum delegation. And that gave me an exposure for the first time into a whole new world um, of of impact, um, be it impact f- um, enterprise or impact financing, um, all these things. Because we stumbled across a whole social enterprise piece by accident, really, by just all saying, right. as in, we didn't know that's what we were when we'd become it. <laughs> we, somebody came <laughs> once and said, oh, you're a really good example of social enterprise. What's that? We just, right. uh, we just realized that really good business – make sense to achieve social. Yeah, work. So yeah. that was
0: what year would you have heard of it first, do you remember? Um, I'm like trying to think
1: it was I was interviewed for Flint and Steel. I think it was um could have been 2014 maybe right because yeah.
0: i think i have that publication actually Yes. yeah it's i i think i've seen that one i think it was their 2014 14, one.
1: i think it was yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it's a great magazine
0: yeah, yeah so, great, yes. so um okay so you're in an interview and they're saying well you're a great example of a social enterprise and you're going oh really oh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> we just we oh, just really great. yeah we yeah. are yeah, really
1: good and i guess that because of that we were just carrying on doing what we were doing when right. i got invited to go to um to Hong Kong um, that suddenly gave me an exposure to a whole world I didn't know was out there mm. and there are other countries in the world where impact investing is uh, a lot more mature mm. and therefore I was able to listen and learn from others and think oh how frustrating that that's not here mm. in New Zealand right now right or it's clearly not, um, not understood yet, so yeah. well yeah. enough yeah. Um, so I came back from that and the developer um, said to me, Michelle, I'd like to give you a window of opportunity to try and buy the building. Mm. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> okay, where do, I go, where do I go from here? Yeah. Um, because I've been to all the banks. They've all said no. Right. I've been to um, the larger grant givers and they've said it's too much money and we don't fit their model mm. either.
0: What sort of, I mean, you don't have to give the exact number, but what sort of number are we talking about?
1: If leading, yeah, we yeah, needed about I mean, seven and a half million right so we weren't talking low numbers, no, so no. we had it, we had value um, the build is worth about eleven million, and we had um, clearly equity in the previous property that we could bring over. so mm. about seven and a half million roughly, um, which isn't a small number. Mm. Um, yeah so um, we I I probably, to be totally honest, buried my head in the sand probably for a week thinking I don't know where to go with this. What do (laughs) I do with this bit of information that we could... um, It um, sounds like a fantastic opportunity, but I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then it dawned on me that... um, It dawned on me... Well, two things happened. I I handed a business case that I had put together in order to try and purchase the site to somebody in Hong Kong. And the second I did that... I felt an obligation to try and – it was the first time it had gone outside of my hands, really. And it was that sort of handing over of baton that I thought it was a moment. I felt I I have to do something with this. You know, I've kind of – somebody else has seen this now. And it goes back to the vulnerability piece. Mm -hmm. You know, I can go and give it a go. And if it fails, actually, what does it matter other Mm -hmm. than, you know, am I trying to protect my reputation a bit too much is what I'm saying. Yeah. So that happened. That was at the back of my mind the whole time. And then the second thing was um, the fact that I noted that the BNZ, the Bank of New Zealand, had sent a delegate to Hong Kong. Mm. And that made me start thinking, well, why would they do that? Why would they ha- – you know, because clearly there's flights, accommodation, and there must have been a reason why they felt that um, this individual had should go. So when I came back to Christchurch after burying my head in the sand for a week – I thought, okay, well, let's just start with that avenue. Let's maybe understand why the BNZ were there. Could this be an opportunity? So unfortunately, in the time that we got back, the the gentleman who'd been in Hong Kong, who I'd got to know quite well, had left the bank. So that was a bit frustrating. Mm. But through um, the help of Akina, who have a relationship um, with the BNZ, Mm. um, as certainly did at the time, they were able to facilitate an introduction with somebody here in Christchurch. By his own admission, poor Jeff ended up coming to meet with me at the old site and um, thinking to himself, how can I give this poor lady half an hour of my time and say <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. Yep. Um, and the most remarkable thing happened, Stephen. Mm. Well, the first thing that happened is he and I very quickly built a relationship and I think that was critical to how this was able to even progress beyond that day. Um, I was able to show him through the site and talk, um, talk to it in a way that f- – that satisfied him that we're not just social, but there's a commercial, really strong commercial underpinning to everything that we do. And he ended up clearing his diary for that day. Mm. And I knew that I'd got underneath his skin when we ended up being back here at base camp, which was still a building site. And the electrician came and collared me and was talking about where the microwave should go. And I was saying, oh, it doesn't matter. Just over there will be fine. And Jeff started saying, no, Michelle, no. You've got to make sure that goes to the right place. You're going to be in this building for the next <laughs> 40 years, 50 right. years. And I thought, ooh, he's emotionally There's invested here. here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So that was the start. Yeah. Um, and then – Jeff asked me to produce um, a significant amount of financial backing, mm. which I was able to do. And he, you know, he often um, has been interviewed about this, and he he was astounded, I think, that an organisation of our size mm. um, had such strong commercial um, understanding, mm. and felt that it was stronger than many large organisations that were commercial that he'd come right. across. So I think we built credibility quite quickly, is yeah. is what I'm um, mm. suggesting. Um, he then had to go and do the hard sell internally because any which way that you looked at it, it did not meet the credit criteria of the credit team. Mm. And clearly banks are quite risk averse Mm. and they've got certain targets to meet and we fell right outside (laughs) of all of that. (laughs) Right. Um, Then, gosh, so much happened. The amount of hurdles that we have jumped to make this happen, it's quite challenging to even remember the pain points that we we went through. He, in essence, came back and said, I think there's a deal to be done. And it wasn't just a deal to be done, because that in itself would have been amazing, but it was a concessionary deal, which was really important. So, at that stage, I had to look at it from a, if we go in and rent, what does that look like, versus if we go in and buy. Mm -hmm. And in essence, the, the deal the bank had given us was very flexible in terms of being able to pay interest only, with a very low interest rate. And... When you looked at it on paper, it was a no-brainer. It halved our rent as such. If you think about the bank becoming a landlord in that sense, if we never ever paid back the debt, um, the, the, the rent would be half the dollar value than us going and renting commercially. So right. if you look at it just purely like that, it it made sense. Um, with a view that we could always sell further down the line if we wanted to realise that capital clearly mm. for other projects. Mm. So the next stage, I guess, was... Um, Getting the board uh, on board, um, making sure that from a governance perspective, everybody around the table understood what was being presented, what was being asked of them, what we were getting into, mm-hmm. um, what the risks were. Um, and I'm happy to say that um, we actually combined the trust and the um, directors at the time um, over that probably three year period to, because it's such an important decision in our future. And um, when it came to voting as to whether we should go ahead and buy, it was unanimous. So clearly it made sense for for everybody yeah um but sorry
0: yeah oh i was just gonna say so you were able to get it over the line this this happened
1: it did happen yeah. we had at every stage of the deal there were hurdles that had to be jumped even down to the day that we were meant to go and um, confirm on this building right. there were issues all the way up to the end so there was no straight line there was no front door to go into in the first place and even once we were inside um there was no navigation that was simple um, yeah. and I have to say it probably took the courage and the um, of Jeff who navigated us through it mm. and his buy-in in us and his belief mm. in us both as an organization and his community, but also as a solid business um, that actually made it um, possible. Mm. But honestly, it was, it was hard work yeah. and there were times where, You know, I'd wake up in the morning thinking, is this worth, you know, the pain and agony and stress Mm. should we have just entered into a lease? (laughs) Right. (laughs) But, you know, we did it it as much for Kalmana as we did for the community, for the sector, for New Zealand, Mm. to demonstrate that it is possible and Mm. to demonstrate that organizations like us do deserve a look-in. And yes, we might not fit the normal mold, but actually that doesn't mean that just because of that we should be... Mm. You know, pushed aside.
0: Yeah. Well, I I want to drill down on that now because I think we were at the Social Enterprise World Forum last Mm. year. Um, We did the interview around that time. So um, I think at that forum, there was 1,600 people came together, possibly more, um, you know, and the word about social enterprise – kind of got out a lot more, and I know that's what Akina were hoping for, and I think it's been achieved, which is wonderful testament to, you know, shout out to all of the people who put in so many hours of work to make it happen. Mm. The point is it's on the agenda now in terms of people are more aware that this is an option, and I'm certainly seeing in the work that I do people coming through with this idea that they have a business, but they also have a heart. Mm -hmm. The way I describe it is that they're taking the the heart of charity Mm -hmm. and the mind of business and combining it into one. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) And and I think think going forward, I think I was talking with someone from Akina yesterday, actually, and was saying, you know, at some point, we won't even have these conversations about whether it's a social enterprise or not because we'll have shifted, hopefully, to a state where, of course, a business cares about the people that it employs. Of course, Mm -hmm. it's not environmentally polluting. You know, like it's almost... We're we're children, we're so naive that we think that the way we've done things in the past and Mm -hmm. the individualistic focus, and now maybe we'll be moving into an age of actually business should be about heart as well as the mind.
1: That is my passion, and I really hope that's the case. That continuum I was talking about earlier, you know I would love um, social enterprise to have a vertical, i.e. more of them, but mm. also to go wider yes. so that if we could have 80% of organisations actually operating under some kind of impact model whether it's through their supply chain or whether it's through the core work that they do um yeah. to address specific problems that yeah. that to me that's what really excites yeah. me I, I think we would be building a world that is so much better
0: yeah i agree and we both got young children right yes. so we can see the future for them you know it'd be a much better place but the point that i want to raise is that you have a unique position because you had the 60 years of history you know mm-hmm. you there's a long legacy there you had a business model that had been working but there's many organizations out there who are at the early stages and they're not able to access funding from either mm-hmm. source. What is it this is a this is a really hard question, but what is it fundamentally that needs to sh- change or give way to open up access to the funding? And is there a role for government to be playing in that or mm-hmm. is it something that is just going to happen case by case and over time we will get there? Like, what are your thoughts on that sort of issue?
1: Well, I think it starts with education. I think there's a massive, massive education piece that needs to take place. I think um, professional services, um, across not just the financial ones, have to really start... Deciding is this an area they want to almost see it as a different sector entirely, um, and I think for those who are forward thinking, um, like I know some are, mm. I think they will have huge success in terms of um, in terms of the future way of doing business. Really, I think there's also um, important to split the sort of more startup organisations with those like ours who've been there mm. for a long time because I think they probably both require very different or have different needs. Yes, um, and actually they should be no different in many ways to the needs of a startup whether it's in the tech sector or whatever mm-hmm. or a large organization over here that wants growth so i think they need to be seen um, as a separate entities that require very different things because i know there are so many larger and you know ngos or ex-ngos out there who could so much value from a different way of operating mm-hmm. um that would give them more control more sustainability but they need investing in them in terms of people, process, procedure, understanding, capital. All those things need to happen before they can do that. Versus a startup over here, which really requires a whole different conversation. One's about change management yes. in many ways. One's about seeding. So yeah. I don't think I've answered a w- your question at all. No, no,
0: it's good. No, it's, this is the type of thing. And hopefully people listening or watching or whatever are being challenged in the way that they think. Like ultimately mm. that's what we want, right? But uh, in a way there's three categories. There's the startups And then there's the established businesses like yourselves who have been in that sort of more, I guess you would have said it's traditionally people would say that's more of a charitable type. But then it's also this other group, which I actually hope somebody will listen to, that's the traditional business, which is the for-profit business. And it's also helping those people to transition into some of, bring on board some of these concepts.
1: And, and um, we have some early adopters in that space. Okay, I really believe I'm really seeing some early adopters, and you're right. That's exactly when I see the, see the vertical grow. That's mm. the startups and the kilmarnock likes that are going yeah. to change their way of operating. Versus the horizontal growth is yeah. the more traditional organizations mm. who are going to um, who, who are going to really understand that by doing this well. They're going to achieve what they want to achieve anyway, which is yeah. growth and probably bigger profitability. And
0: probably happy employees who well, are <laughs> coming honest, to work, working harder. and yeah.
1: The youth of today want a very different thing out of work. They do want to earn money, but they want to work in something that is doing something positive mm. for for the world or for humanity, depending which way they're inclined or both, ideally. And the reality is, is the employer of tomorrow is not going to attract the most talented people if they don't adopt adapt their, che- their um, practices. And it's as simple as that. And that is being seen globally. Yeah. So it's, it's those who really understand that by investing in, um, you know, in doing things for the people and planet better, yeah. they're going to attract the right people, which ultimately is going to give them a better product or service. Yeah. Yeah. And that's going to be a win-win. Yeah,
0: mm. no, that's great. So just coming back to my other question, I just want to see where we go here. <laughs> I don't know where we're going to end up, but um, you've gone through this process. You've, you've had a success... But are there constraints in the system itself, which means that others are never going to be able to access the things that you were able to access? Because there was personal buy-in from yeah. Jeff, right? Um, is there, and I'm thinking particularly, I guess this is a macro level question, you know, mm. like a societal mm. level thing. But is there some change that we need that would allow that to happen? or
1: I... In everything in life, I think it's all about people. Um, That's how I've approached it, whether it's selling, whether it's whatever it is, relationships, it's all about people. Mm. And where I see that Kilmarnock has been slightly different to others who may not quite have succeeded yet is we have um, a senior team who are all from a commercial background who all have heart. We have the mix that you say, Mm. the the business head and and the heart from a charity. Yes. And... Unfortunately, that's not the case and hasn't been typically for a lot of the charitable world where you've got some incredible people doing incredible mm. things who, oh my word, deserve awards but may never have had the exposure sure. to business. and. Certainly, if you talk to the BNZ, that's what stood us apart from from yeah. others, is that it was clear that we had a really, really strong commercial acumen mm-hmm. and underpinning. And it
0: helps that you were, you were probably able to say, well, I used to work at Vodafone in the UK yeah. and yeah. I've been involved in startups before, right? Like that is part of the story.
1: So I think what we need to do is we need to attract more people out of the purely for profit and actually make them realize that they're not giving up everything they've done, that everything they've done before has been for a reason that Mm. they can now use for something that is much better for people and for the world. Mm. And that's how I see it. Mm. If we could do that single thing, that would change everything. Mm. Um, And that's not to say, I'm not suggesting for one second, that all those people who've worked in a charity all their life and haven't worked in a business, there's no place for them. That's not Mm. what I'm saying because you need the mixture of both, actually. It's (laughs) about diversity, isn't it, as I said earlier. Which
0: comes back to the culture point that we were talking about at the beginning, really.
1: Mm, yeah. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, th- definitely things need to change though still. I mean, I haven't finished the story of Kamarnak. We're still um, we're still not out of the water. Mm. Um, I don't know if I've told you that our, um, our previous site, the one that we've exited, um, through all the due diligence that we did before going to market, we hadn't understood that the land that we were sitting on, which was 95% covered in either tarmac building, was riddled with asbestos mm. and arsenic. And that's not great. Mm. And that meant that when we sold it, clearly we had to, um, there had to be um, consideration for the remediation of the land. Right. So we ended up exiting the site for about two million less than we thought we would. I see. Yeah. And that's where, unfortunately, that puts us back into a difficult position because the bank have, um, we are now stretching them beyond their <laughs> comfort. We, we'd stretched them beyond their comfort zones before. Mm. This has now gone to a whole other mm. stage. So the journey isn't over yet. Right. We're still having to find a way of um, raising another two million dollars to be able to um, Mm. and we don't want they're nowhere near that yet Mm. we don't want the bank to lose confidence in us Mm. Um, we just have to think of other clever ways of raising um, impact uh, Mm. finance to be able to um, pay the bank back and be able to uh, focus on our future so it's a journey
0: yeah yeah Yeah. well that's right it's probably not just a journey probably a marathon right? <laughs> three <laughs> like of them keeps, back to back <laughs> yeah yeah keeps, keep going yeah. yeah oh that's good but uh, what I'm hoping is that people who are able to listen and will understand how hard the journey is but also that there are that there are good people in the world who want to help and that and that you know somebody can come along and think it's a 30-minute meeting and spend the whole day you know that's and, right. that, and that individuals within organizations can be agents of change wherever they are. Because um, sometimes I think we view like a bank or a whatever as being this big entity. Mm. But it's ultimately it's just individuals, isn't it? And if enough Absolutely. of the individuals within the organization could be acting in the right way, then there's going to be massive change.
1: Yeah, and there's no doubt about that. Had somebody else on the day turned up other than Jeff, I suspect we might not have got this across the line. Yeah. So just shows that an individual can absolutely influence change internally, totally. And, and I was seeing this a lot. You know, we talk about the youth of today. I, I see this so much in um, the, the, the youth in professional services who have got a skill. They may be lawyers, they may be whatever, but they want to make a change, and they are. Mm. And their directors and their part, you know the partners of the organizations are listening to them. Mm. I, I've seen a real, real shift, mm. and that is incredibly encouraging, as yeah. you can imagine. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's so exciting, isn't it? The next generations will... Demand change. Yes, (laughs) that's right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I have a feeling that we could talk a long time. And what we might do is have a part three at Mm -hmm. some point. But I think what we've talked about today, we've looked at the buildings and the IT and the culture and the access to capital. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's been a really good um, solid four things that we've kind of concentrated on. So rather than going further, um, I think what we should do is just wrap it up there And then um, come back again if there's some other things that we want to explore. How does that sound? That
1: sounds great. And hopefully by then we've got rid of our $2 million problem. And that would be a great way to tell the story as to how we did that. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: And if people want to reach out to you or get in touch, um, what would be the best way to do that?
1: Um, All our contact details are on our website, which is www.kilmarnock.com. Yeah. Um and clearly um, through yourself or um, other means, happy to take calls, emails, whatever, you know, yeah, everything's on the website, so.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. Well, what we might do, because we videoed this as well, is we might see if there's some way we can get that posted, yes. and then people can watch it. And um, yeah, if you're watching and you feel like sharing, then go ahead, because I think the more people that hear the story, the better, right? Absolutely. Like that's the, I don't know why sometimes people keep the stories in Mm -hmm. (laughs) and well that was a bit hard maybe we won't tell that one you know but actually it's that transparency Mm -hmm. which makes it um, achievable for others and and also to piggyback off of and learn and look at new ways of doing things that's
1: what i'm hoping for yeah if we can inspire at least one other person to give it a go the good of uh, you know the world or the planet or people that would be amazing yeah,
0: yeah yeah oh good well michelle thank you so much for your time today i really appreciate it and um, thank you Stephen. yeah oh no it's <laughs> fine it's great i love hearing your story and you know last time if people haven't listened to the first one it's mm. the in the first of the the podcast seeds you were the first episode so they can go back and listen to that yeah, yeah. Um, but with this one we'll try to do things a bit differently and We've got the video, so we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you so much. All right, no problem. Thank you. Well, I think you'll agree that we covered a lot of topics in that conversation, but I hope you enjoyed it and some of the challenges that there were in it for social enterprises and how they raise funds. I think these are the sort of topics that we really need to be talking about and looking for solutions for, because if we want organizations to succeed that are doing amazing things in the world, then we need to provide them with the means to do so. I also felt like the conversation around culture and what it is that's important in an organization touched on things that would be applicable to any sort of company. Now in coming weeks, we're going to be speaking with a number of social entrepreneurs, including one of the co-founders of the Crave Cafe in Auckland, as well as Samantha Jones, who founded Little Yellowbird. I hope you can join me for some of those upcoming episodes. Until next time.